Hello, everyone, and welcome to Physician Assistant Study Session. I'm your host, McKenna Morgan, and today we'll be discussing disorders of the hip, as well as a hodgepodge of orthopedic topics. All right, everybody, welcome. The end of the orthopedics chapter is near. So today, we're going to be discussing the hip, as well as just a couple other random topics that we haven't been able to cover. A quick announcement before we get started. NCCPA just released their new blueprint for tests beginning in January 19, and there are a couple additions to the orthopedic section, some of which we've already covered, such as spinal trauma and thoracic outlet syndrome. So obviously we don't need to cover those again, and the ones that are remaining I'm actually just going to cover in other sections of the blueprint because I think they work better there. So uh, no additional episodes being made for ortho to accommodate for those extra ones. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and move on to our questions. Name a side effect of bisphosphonates. There's two big ones I'm thinking of, pill esophagitis and jaw osteonecrosis. A DEXA value of what diagnoses osteoporosis? And this is a T-score of less than or equal to minus 2.5. Define a Bouchard node. This is a palpable osteophyte of the proximal interphalangeal joint. Okay. So as I mentioned, today is disorders of the hip. So we're going to be talking avascular necrosis, um, developmental dysplasia, fractures, dislocations, skiffy. We're also going to throw in osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, septic hip, transient synovitis, and another topic that's not on the blueprint at all, which I just feel like is useful to talk about, is uh, Salter-Harris classification of fractures. So, beginning with pelvic fractures. These are usually a result of a high-impact injury or from an osteoporotic bone. Diagnostic for these is a CT scan. On treatment, they get a pelvic binder and a specialist consult. Jumping quickly to hip fractures. These are generally, we really think of our osteoporotic women most commonly. They present externally rotated, abducted, with a shortened limb. And I think the best way I could come up to remember this was the acronym BREAKS. So when it is broken, it is abducted. So B for abducted, rotated externally, and commonly, with a K, shortened. And I say commonly because it is also shared with dislocations. Those are also shortened. So again, B for abducted, rotated externally, and in common, shortened. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, hip fractures often present with groin pain and couple increased risks for avascular necrosis, as well as increased risk for DVT and PE with these guys. Moving on to dislocations. As I had mentioned in the spine episode, the hips, and I should say lower extremity in general, is the upper extremity, but it's been twisted. And it's been twisted in an internally rotated fashion. So hip dislocations are the exact opposite of shoulder dislocations. So with that, they most commonly dislocate posteriorly 
and they present adducted, internally rotated, and shortened. And the way I remembered this was the hip is hidden in a dislocation. So D for dislocation, it is hidden and that it is shortened. And then I is for internally rotated. So D dislocated, adducted, internally rotated, and shortened. Again, that's the exact opposite of a shoulder. Here there is risk for the sciatic nerve. Just think about the anatomy when you dislocate something posteriorly. That is the nerve that is the posterior aspect of the hip. Treatment. It's a dislocation, so we reduce it. Wonderful. Moving on to leg calf perthes. And this is an idiopathic avascular osteonecrosis of the femoral head and epiphysis in children. These are often young, active boys age 4 to 10. They present with a painless limp that is often worse at the end of the day, with decreased abduction and internal rotation. Again, painless limp, worse at the end of the day, decreased abduction and internal rotation. On x-ray, early findings will be that the femoral head has increased density and they'll have a widening of the cartilage space. In advance, they have what's called a crescent sign. And basically what this is, it means that they're having microfractures with um, the femoral head is collapsing. I put these together, crescent sign with leg calf perthes, because leg calf perthes is worse at the end of the day, crescent like a moon on x-ray. Treatment for these, they're non-weight bearing initially and then get referred to ortho, but they often resolve spontaneously, so they just need to be monitored by ortho. So the other disease that I put together with this and I think is more commonly quizzed on with boards is what we call a skiffy, which stands for slipped capitofemoral epiphysis syndrome. Um, again, remember, we don't want to just memorize acronyms because boards like to spell everything out for us. And what these look like on x-ray is they're a slipped ice cream off the cone. And that helps me kind of remember which demographic it goes with, because it goes with 7 to 16-year-old obese African-American males, and it's usually during their growth spurt. Um, so I just think the kids really like to eat a lot of ice cream. Sorry, again, my mnemonics are never going to be 100% uh, appropriate. They'll present with hip and knee pain, and also possibly thigh pain with a limp. The big key word here is knee pain. Um, knee pain with an obese African-American adolescent is a skiffy until proven otherwise. They'll also have increased external rotation, like a hip fracture, because essentially this is a hip fracture. Um, treatment, non-weight bearing, and then ORIF. There's some debate about whether we go in and do the other one while we're doing the one that's actually broken. But again, just uh, that's more of a fun fact. Switching gears to um, developmental dysplasia of the hip, DDH, what the acronym for this is called. Risk factors, I do think these are important. Firstborn, female gender of the baby, not of the mother, obviously. Uh, family history, and breach presentation. And there's three specialized physical exam maneuvers that you can do. 
The first one is a Barlow test. And here you're applying posterior pressure since hips dislocate posteriorly. And a positive equals, you'll hear a clunk. Now, the reduction of this dislocated hip is the Ortolani test. So you're going to abduct and apply anterior pressures. Just imagine that motion in which you would use to reduce a hip. A positive here is also a clunk. So these are just alphabetical. Barlow first, Ortolani second. Barlow dislocates, Ortolani reduces. And then a little bit separately from these, we have what's called the Galeazzi test. And this is assessing for limb length discrepancy. So what you'll do is you'll flex the knees and have the feet on the table with the ankles all the way touching the bum. And the affected hip is the one that is shorter than the other. This is generally a clinical diagnosis, but you'll get a stress ultrasound at three to four weeks. And the femoral head actually can't be seen on x-ray until three to four months, just fun fact. Treatment for this is called a pavlic harness. In some patient education, you'll avoid swaddling tight-fitting clothing, and then this will be monitored with ultrasound as they grow. Okay. A couple disorders of the hip that I think are more common in clinic but less so common on boards. Um, first one is FAI, femoral acetabular impingement. And this pain could be dull or sharp, and this is what we describe as groin pain. The hip is technically the outside the groin is indicative of the actual joint. A um, couple things on x-ray you may find. Number one is a pincer lesion, and this is of the acetabulum. So imagine the cup basically has sharper, uh, sharper edges like a pincer. And then a cam lesion affects the femoral head. So essentially the femoral head is not of the shape that it should be. Um, on physical exam, the most sensitive is a FADIR, F-A-D-I-R, but they also may have a positive favor as well. Just imagine things get pinched when you move them in those, those directions. Diagnosis here are x-rays to look for those cam and pincer lesions and an MRI to evaluate the soft tissues. Treatment, decrease the activity, NSAIDs, physical therapy, possible surgical referral. I also um, mentioned we get an MRI to evaluate the soft tissues, and that's because these can also lead to a labral tear. Labral tears can be atraumatic, such as from an FAI, or um, and essentially then have an insidious onset, or they can become as a result of trauma. And again, these guys will also have either dull or sharp pain. It may radiate. Um, they'll complain of catching and clicking. So it's very much like a labor tail of the, uh, the shoulder as well. Um, again, these guys may too have a positive Faber or in fader. So you're like, okay, they have almost the same presentation. They might have some clicking as an FAI. How do I tell the difference? The test of choice for a labral tear as the same as a labral tear in the shoulder is an MRI arthrogram. Arthrograms, again, remember we're injecting that dye and it helps us to see the labral and the labrum integrity. So that's kind of the, the big distinguishing factor from a labral tear and an FAI symptom-wise and test-wise. The labral tear, you're gonna get an MRI arthrogram. 
whereas FAI, you're going to look at x-rays first. Again, this is kind of difficult for boards to really nitpick at, other than associating those cam and pincer lesions with FAI and an arthrogram with a labral tear. I just um, think clinically they're more important. And again, same thing, conservative versus surgical treatment. Next up is snapping hip. And this is snapping or popping with uh, walking, getting up from a chair, swinging the leg. And um, basically it's motions that cause the iliopsoas tendon to move. So remember that's, a, that's responsible for hip flexion. They may or may not have pain. Um, there's increased risk in adolescents and athletes that use uh, hyperflexion motions a lot, such as dancers. That's usually what we think of with snapping hip. And this is just conservative treatment. Moving our way away from the groin and laterally to the, um, what most patients describe as the hip is greater trochanteric pain syndrome. This is also known as trochanteric bursitis, and it's the number one cause of lateral hip pain in adults. They're usually tender to palpation, and the pain is increased with walking, stairs, walking at an incline, or prolonged standing. And thinking about this, it's the muscles that insert here are responsible for maintaining an upright posture as well as abduction. It's all those tiny muscles below your glutes as well as some, part, some of your glutes. So we'll also have pain with resisted abduction. Makes sense. We make those muscles work. It's going to irritate it and make it hurt. Physical exam test here is a Trendelenburg test or more specifically, the Trendelenburg sign, and they'll have difficulties standing on one leg. So you ask the patient to stand on one leg and the hip will drop. Now, if the hip drops, it's not the side that drops, it's the leg that the patient is standing on because those muscles are either too weak or too painful to pull the other side up. So again, the affected leg is the leg that the patient is standing on. Okay. Treatment, over-the-counter pain relief, heating pads, and a cortisone injection if refractory. All right. Switching gears here, we're going to talk a little bit more of our infectious disease processes. Number one being septic arthritis. And the number one pathogen here is staph aureus. And pretty much with anything skin, we want to think staph. Uh, it's also possible for Neisseria gonorrhea in sexually active young adults. Um, but again, think Staph aureus number one. And these guys will present with a single, warm, swollen, tender, painful joint. Looks nasty. They may or may not have fevers and chills. On labs, you're going to get an arthrocentesis, basically a joint aspiration. And they'll have a white count over 50,000. The knee is the most commonly affected joint with septic arthritis. Treatment is based on the gram stain. So a gram-positive cocci, which is what staph is, you want to treat with nafcillin or, if MRSA is suspected, vancomycin. If you're ever worried about MRSA, vanco is the answer. If it's Neisseria, which is a gram-negative cocci, we're going to use ceftriaxone. Or if you're worried about GI bacteria, which are gram-negative rods, this will be ceftriaxone plus an anti-pseudomonal aminoglycoside, such as gentamicin. 
we'll focus and kind of drive through on antibiotics more in the future, especially with H-E-E-N-T. Just remember, at this point, Vanco associated with MRSA and ceftriaxone for gonorrhea. So they will get antibiotics, but then they'll also get an incision and drainage. Uh, transitioning with this, uh, there's also septic hip, obviously. Um, this is usually more in kiddos. They'll refuse to weight bear or they'll have a limp, and their hip will be flexed and abducted. And here we have what's called the Coker criteria. So the Coker criteria here, white blood count over 12,000, a sed rate greater than 40, an ESR, fever, basically they are febrile, so it's greater than 101.3, and they're non-weight bearing. So those are the four criteria, white count over 12, sed rate over 40, febrile, and non-weight bearing. Any two of those four criteria warrants a joint aspiration. These ones you'll admit and treat with antibiotics. Conversely, in kids, we have what's called transient synovitis. This presents very similar to a septic hip. I think the biggest thing board-wise is that these often follow another infection, such as a viral infection. Say, oh, they just had a cold, and then now their knee hurts, or they're limping, and their hip hurts. It's usually how that presents treatment that is diagnostic and therapeutic is relief with high-dose NSAIDs. If you give someone with a septic hip a bunch of NSAIDs, they're not going to feel any better. But if you do with transient synovitis, they'll feel much better. Okay. Another infectious disease we'll talk about today is osteomyelitis. This is most commonly in patients under 20 or over 50. And this can happen either acutely or chronically. Acute is more often in children. This uh, usually is an immunocompromised, but may also follow an upper respiratory infection. And this is just a little bit different from chronic because it's more from a hematogenous spread versus a direct inoculation. Think Staph aureus. If their culture comes back and they have salmonella, it is pathognomonic for sickle cell disease. Moving on to chronic or subacute, this is more often in adults. And it's usually secondary to recent trauma or surgery, such as following a joint replacement. This is what we don't want following a joint replacement. Again here, still Staph aureus number one pathogen. Labs, pretty much any of your typical infection labs, increased white count, increased ESR. If their sed rate's normal, osteomyelitis is very unlikely. An MRI is most sensitive in early disease. Um, X-rays may not show the disease until two weeks after the symptoms start. And a bone aspiration is the gold standard for diagnosis of osteomyelitis. Treatment here, antibiotics for four to six weeks. Again, staph, naphthalin, vanco if we think it's MRSA. If it's an acute and they have sickle cell disease, so they have salmonella, they're going to get a third-generation cephalosporin or fluoroquinolone, such as ciprofloxacin. Moving on, just a couple more topics left. We'll start with osteoarthritis. I think I saw this so much on my ortho rotation and internal medicine and family medicine. It's everywhere. Risk factor for this is obesity. 
So as a result, the weight-bearing joints are affected most commonly. Pain is relieved with rest and is often worse in the evening. They've been on their feet all day. Of course, their knees are going to hurt. Now in the hands, we have the nodes. And as we had in our uh, warm-up questions, this was a palpable osteophyte. They are hard and bony. They are not boggy, which makes sense. It's an osteophyte. It is bone. Boggy joints, we'll talk about with room. So here we have Bouchard nodes and Heberden's nodes. I remember this. This is the same way as I remember uh, Barlow and Ortolani. It's alphabetical, working from proximal to distal. So Bouchard's nodes affect the PIP. Heberden's nodes affect the DIP. On x-ray, you're going to have joint space narrowing and osteophyte formation. Treatment, acetaminophen first, then NSAIDs. That's really important. Osteoarthritis doesn't have your typical inflammatory process. So try acetaminophen, um, especially for elderly patients, then NSAIDs, and then obviously we move on to injections or surgery. Two topics left today. Osteoporosis. This is a loss of bone density. And the risk factors here is postmenopausal, elderly, chronic steroid use, smoking, low body weight, female gender, etc. Um, if you remember from last week, these are all the same risk factors as for a vertebral compression fracture, which makes sense because vertebral compression fractures are often caused from osteoporosis. Locations here, hip, vertebra, and distal radius fractures are the most commonly caused by osteoporosis. Diagnosis, the labs are normal, uh, but they'll be drawn to rule out other causes, which we'll discuss when we talk about endocrine. Here you'll get a DEXA scan. This stands for dual energy x-ray absorptiometry. And a positive for osteoporosis is a T-score less than negative 2.5. However, they are osteopenic if their T-score is less than negative 1.0. Coming back to this later in treatment on why that's important. General screening for women starts at 65, earlier if they have additional risk. And we generally repeat this about every two years is what the going knowledge is. Here, treatment slash prevention. We'll start with prevention first. So bone mass peaks in the fourth decade. So it's really important that we start this early. So we want to encourage smoking cessation, which we want to do for everybody. Adequate vitamin D and weight-bearing exercise which if you think about it, all of those things that we're using to prevent are basically reducing our risk factors. There we go, obvious. Treatment, this is treatment for osteoporosis. Osteopenia does not get these drugs. I think in practice you may see that people are, but on boards they do not. If they're osteopenic, you're using their preventative medicine. When they're osteoporotic, then they get medications. And they are the bisphosphonates, our first line still. And these all end in dronate. And what these do is they inhibit osteoclast-mediated bone resorption. So how I remember clasts versus blasts. Clasts collapse 
blasts build. So this makes sense. We're inhibiting the osteoclast destruction of the bone. They want to take these on an empty stomach and remain upright for at least 30 minutes. So they take them first thing in the morning. Side effects are pill esophagitis. That's why they remain upright as well as jaw osteonecrosis. Uh, additional treatments aside from bisphosphonates, vitamin D to slow the progression. And you'll also hear of um, some serms such as raloxifene, estrogen, parathyroid hormone, calcitonin. You'll hear them, I think for boards, just no bisphosphonates and you are good. Last topic, and this one actually isn't on the blueprint at all. I just think it's something that I wanted to share with you guys. And this is the Salter-Harris classification for fractures. This only applies to PEDS because it involves a growth plate. And Salter is an acronym. It stands for separate, above, lower, through, and reduced. And I hate this acronym because it requires an orientation above, lower. I need to know which I have to make sure that my x-ray is the same direction. And as a student, that just was complicated. Maybe in practice, I'll have it easy peasy. But I actually learned a different mnemonic from a program called Picmonic, which I love. If you're a visual learner or just like really bizarre ways of learning things, I highly recommend Picmonic. If you head over to my website at pastudysesh.blueberry.net, you'll find a link there for you guys. So Salter Harris, they use the different mnemonic SMACK. And this stands for slipped, metaphysis, articular, complete, and crushed. So a Salter Harris 1 just goes through the growth plate. A Salter Harris 2 involves the metaphysis. Salter Harris 3 goes the other direction and it has articular involvement. 4 is a complete, so it goes all the way from the articular up to the metaphysis. And then a 5 is a crushed. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that mnemonic as much as I do. I think it made life so much easier. Salter Harris 2 is the most common type of Salter-Harris fracture. Fun fact, Salter-Harris is arranged by the likelihood of causing a growth restriction. So if that fracture just goes through the growth plate, not as concerned as if the growth plate is obliterated completely. Makes sense. That is everything there. Like I said, I highly recommend Picmonic. You will find several things as we go along that are from Picmonic. Um, so go over there, check out the link in the show notes for you guys. Really, it will help me out. That is everything for today. So we'll end with some questions. What demographic is associated with a skiffy? These are 7 to 16 year old obese African American males. These are older than leg calf birthies, as well as leg calf birthies are also very young, thin boys. What physical exam test is associated with greater trochanteric pain syndrome? This is a Trendelenburg sign. Describe the presentation of a dislocated hip. Internally rotated, adducted, shortened. Remember, the hip is hidden in a dislocation. A 
Okay. Five takeaway points from today. Number one, knee pain with a limp in an African-American male is a skiffy until proven otherwise. T-score less than negative 2.5 is diagnostic for osteoporosis. Number three, Barlow maneuver dislocates the hip and Ortolani maneuver reduces the hip. Alphabetical, B then O. Number four, Trendelenburg is positive for the leg that the patient is standing on. And number five, bisphosphonates are associated with pill esophagitis and jaw osteonecrosis. All right, guys. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, so glad you're with me again today. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please send me an email at pastudysesh at gmail.com. To check out copies of the blueprint, as well as uh, links to Picmonic and other resources, check out my website, pastudysesh.blueberry, that's blueberry with no e's, .net. I'd also like to thank Lee Rosevier for the use of his music during the intro, outro, and question portions of our exams. And next week, we're going to be finishing off ortho, and we'll be talking about rheumatology. All right. Again, please let me know what you guys want. Do we like it? Do we not? Share it with your friends. Uh, follow us on Facebook. We're also at PA Study Session at, um, on Facebook. And uh, let me know how you guys are liking it. So have a great week, and I'll be talking to you next week about rheumatology.